funniest player on the team for me is Belly, and it's the way he delivers for real. It's like when he delivers his jokes, there's no laugh, and you really can't even tell if he's serious or not. We deserve this win, man. Fox Sports 5 flying high in Motown. Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling the best I've ever felt. I'm excited. I'm, I'm all about winning. I know that the fans here are extremely loyal and passionate. And just like them, I, I want to become not just a playoff team, but a sustained playoff team and eventually get back to some of that championship success and contention. With the 12th pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Sacramento Kings select Tyrese Halliburton. Imagine being one of those players that's on a team that you know hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade, almost two decades, about a decade and a half, and then being the first team to actually get to the playoffs. Just being able to be a part of that would definitely be something special. And if we can, you know, end up building a championship contending team, you're winning a championship in Sacramento. Like that's that's looked at a lot differently. You probably feel better than you do than with anything else. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunes. Got Bryant West on here as we always do. I would ask how you are, Bryant, but I think the whole world saw you in your McHale jersey and headband yesterday at the game. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's my uh, doppelganger Suns fan. I uh, wish I could steal his uh, joy right now. I got enough of it last night watching my boy Mikael Bridges at uh, 27 points and some excellent oh. uh, clutch free throws in the end there. The offensive uh, rebounds. Yeah, I am fully on the Suns bandwagon, but uh, that I, I I wish that I could just switch places with that Suns fan <laughs> who looks like me without the beard because that meme everybody was passing around of him like leaning sideways in, into just pure bliss. Like, <laughs> I don't know that I'll ever feel that in basketball. <laughs> no, we will. We will. One of these draftees is going to be the promised one to take us there. <laughs> we'll recreate the picture. Oh, yeah. It'll be super easy. <laughs> I can do yeah. that face easy. Definitely. I am all right there with you aboard the Suns bandwagon. Um, the Sun Kings were a thing for a little while there, so I feel like we got to keep this up and act like yeah. we're on their level. That was a thing like not even a year and a half ago. Yeah. That's what gets me. I remember writing uh, two preseasons ago talking about how right after the Jaeger um, year where they really define themselves with pace, the Kings saying that, yeah, the Suns are just one step behind the Kings right now. They just need to find (laughs) their identity. Oh, God. I wrote um, it was two years ago. Um, Bagley had a really good game against uh, the Suns and Aiton. And I wrote this whole thing about uh, this was when Jaeger was still the coach. I wrote this whole thing about the Kings are a step ahead. They're, they're actually getting somewhere. The Suns are in the lottery ping pong uh, dance again. And, uh, you know, I think all this proves is that I, I wouldn't even say, you remember when the Warriors exploded and everything clicked and they got the right coach and the right coach brought uh, yeah. Draymond Green off the bench and utilized all his players correctly and uh, replaced a really bad head coach who should never get a head coaching gig again and should not be on the finals broadcast. I still don't understand why he is. Um, but you remember how quick the Warriors turned it around? Like this Suns feels even quicker. Yeah. Very. It's amazing. so fast. Yeah, and I know Chris Paul has a lot to do with that, but it, the Aiton really stepped up. Um, Booker's the same dude. He's always been just like doing it for a really good team. Uh, all their role players. Jay Crowder has together. been awesome. Jay Crowder was a fantastic signing. Cam Johnson, 
another one of my draft crushes back when I thought he could go in like the twenties. I thought eleven was oh. pretty high, but he yeah, he went really proved, high. That pick proved correctly. Like if there's anybody that's uh, giving evidence that uh, maybe uh, Jalen Smith is going to hit next year, <laughs> Camp Johnson. Can you imagine they they could have had Tyrese Halliburton on this roster? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it, oh my god. This this Suns team is great. Um, I I love this offense. I love Monty Williams. Just mm-hmm. all the praise to the Suns fans and in, in their organization. Uh, do not know how Tim hasn't just abandoned ship and uh, <laughs> joined the Suns fandom full time. Uh, I hope someday we get to that point. Hopefully, and uh, you know maybe. James Booknight is the guy to lead us to the promised land. <laughs> he he does have a very – I know everybody talks about uh, uh, Zach Levine as the comp. Um, he's got a little bit of uh, Devin Booker in him. Mm. I don't think – I mean, <laughs> saying anybody is Devin Booker is like – you know, we're talking ceiling, ceiling, ceiling here. But, you know, the craftiness with the ball, just um, the, the slithering moves he does. Um, I, I think I trust his shooting ability much more than his efficiency numbers might indicate. So yeah. I don't think it's crazy. Um, and I think as we'll go along, um, I'm going to feel like there's a real case to be made that there's going to be a lot of guys that people are like, um, X, Y, Z all have a case as best player available for Sacramento who you and I really don't think they do. James book, but night might be the dude who I actually can listen to a case for best player available that doesn't like seamlessly fit for Sacramento. So I won't get ahead of us. Um, James Booknight played 15 games at UConn last year. Uh, He missed eight games due to an elbow injury, Um, played 31.7 minutes per game, 18.7 points per game, 5.7 rebounds per game, 1.8 assists, 1.1 1.1 steals, 2.8 turnovers, shot 44% from the field, 29.3% from three, 77.8% from the free throw line. So I'm just going to state it bluntly. Uh, do you think that James Booknight's scoring skills make him uh, a top 10 pick? I do. Um, I, I think it's, you know, there's a lot of streakiness to him, but the moments that he's on are just like a elite prospect level stuff. Um, he had that 40 versus Creighton. I think the game that I mentioned before we press record was actually uh, a 21 against Villanova where he just oh, yeah. scores in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, the, the moments that he is really pressuring the ball and, and the entire time he's out there, like he's UConn's whole offense, but he works so well without the ball as well. Um, he's a really good cutter. He's really active and coming to the ball. They ran him off a lot of dribble handoffs, which are really common in Sacramento's offense. Um, He had some moments of like shooting off movement and his catch and shooting needs a lot of work. That was only 21% this year, um, 11th percentile. So like, I think that's concerning, but I mean, yeah, I think when you're talking about like the peak James Booknight moments, which you got fairly often, um, it's hard to ignore those level of scoring flashes. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I know that uh, there's some people who are pretty worried about his efficiencies, especially for a dude who's like selling point is a uh, sub elite um, scoring prospect. I'm not really worried about those efficiencies. Um, UConn was a fairly average team that James Book and I really just made work on the offensive end. Um, 
they were pretty average in terms of like scoring output and they were sub 200th in the country in field goal percent. Their second best score was RJ Cole and he shot 38% of the field. So I think Book Knight saw more doubles than he would have even on most college, like, you know, major college teams. Um, and uh, that Maryland game in the first round of the NCAA tournament, which UConn uh, lost, I think that really showed that. They sold out to keep Book Knight from getting any dribble penetration. And uh, they really were always paying attention to Book Knight. And uh, UConn really never figured out what to do offensively from there. And that ended up being one of Book Knight's more disappointing scoring games. Um, 15.6 of 16 from the field, one of six from three. Um, but like you talked about, those games where um, Creighton's a really good team and he had 40 points on them uh, the first time they saw each other. Um, USC is a good team. He had 18 points against them. Uh, Villanova is a really good team. And, and anybody who wants to go see a dude just take over a game, yeah, that's the game to go watch. Uh, James Booknight's scoring skills and um, craft with the ball. I don't know that he's got the tightest handle in the world, but he's just so smooth. Um, and his explosiveness, man, that dunk on Providence is probably the yeah. best dunk to me in college this year. So um, I guess my question then is, do you fully buy into his shooting? Because like I said, I trust that his efficiency will be better at the NBA level, but he only did make 29.3% from deep on five attempts per game. Yeah, I mean, I think when you're talking about the five attempts per game, like I think that's really important. He definitely had confidence in that jumper. Um, and the free throw numbers are decent for him. You know, 82% last year, 77% this year. By the way, he's a sophomore, um, which I, I don't think sophomore doesn't make too big of a difference to me when it comes to ranking these prospects. Mm -hmm. um, but he shot 34% from deep last year on about half the amount of attempts per game. So I think him really upping it in that confidence level is big. Um, I, I mentioned those catch and shoot shots, but he didn't have all two. I guess he actually had a decent sample there. Um, so I think that's definitely going to need some work, but I, I do think yeah. he's a respected shooter. I don't know that he's high level. Like I, I actually think the Zach Levine comp is good before Levine decided that he was just an elite shooter. Well, and also uh, Levine really figured out how to be uh, a playmaker, yeah. um, which I think Booknight can in better spacing. Um, but I agree. The number one thing I want to see how he develops at the next level is you talked about how he was a really good dribble handoff dude. He has to be a better catch and shoot dude, especially early in his career, especially if he goes to a team that already has an initiator in place like Sacramento first thing that would determine whether he was a success in Sacramento is how quickly he became a good catch and shoot dude. Cause like 11th percentile, 21.6% on catch and shoot shots. That's not going to cut it. Um, I think my favorite and most realistic fit, I think he's going to go like seventh to golden state or something. Uh, and he can't be a 21% from catch and shoot shots in golden state. They just no. won't play him if he's if he can't make threes off of Curry passes. So and, and allegedly at the combine, I think the quote was, uh, I believe it was a David Aldridge article. It was an athletic piece um, interviewing different scouts, executives, and things like that. And all the talk is Book Knight 
shot the ball really well at the combine. The direct quote was he shot the piss out the ball. I was like, that is <laughs> all right. Um, okay. So, I mean, if, if Book Knight is right, if Book Knight is shooting at a high level, I, I think he is really serious potential here. Um, you know, a guy that I, I think if if he's a high level shooter, which is a big if, I, I think he actually could be like an 18, 20 point per game score in the league. Like if you're talking true ceiling um, and, you know, I don't see it as a quite likely outcome because he's never going to be that would require him being on a team where he's a number two option. If he's a number one, I don't think that um, specifically the first couple of years he's going to be able to handle that pressure. And that's why I think Golden State makes so much sense, right? Because you already yeah. have your primary playmakers and everything. I, I see him more as a play finisher rather than a play creator. And that's where I think the ceiling caps a little bit. Yeah, honestly, I, I kind of think that 18 points is like somewhere in his middle ground. Um, and like I like you said, it really depends on where he ends up. I think any team from like six to 12 has a real case for him. Like... Um, I think Orlando. I think Orlando, Orlando makes, makes sense, sense but I Orlando think it makes would be a, ton a rough spot for him. I don't know. Well, like nobody's going to think Orlando's going to be good next year, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just like him alongside more playmakers. I guess he, him, and Cole Anthony would be uh, uh, weird. Yeah, um, yeah. Especially if they took like uh, Jonathan Kuminga or even like Scotty Barnes. I know that. Scotty Barnes's appeal as as a kind of a playmaker, but I don't think that he should be an initiator. So at that point, you're still like looking for the dude to start and work everything. So that's where I get bogged down with Orlando because it's like, all right, who who's doing the playmaking here? Um, yeah. But Golden State makes a ton of sense. Uh, I don't necessarily know that New Orleans makes sense. Uh, Charlotte could really use like. He could be the dude that we all hoped Malik Monk would be. Yeah. Um, San Antonio could use a, a number one or two scoring threat. Um, Pacers would be a really good spot for him. And then we get right back to well, the Pacers State. would be so fun, actually. He moves yeah. so well without the ball. Like he cuts yeah. amazingly um, and is really active running off the ball. And Sabonis just being able to hit him on a dime would be awesome. Yeah. Um, I think. There's interesting defense from Book Knight too, like moments. Um, six five with a six eight wingspan. And I think he moves well laterally, but I think there mm-hmm. were definitely moments that he was just lazy and checked out on that end. Um, and, and again, like huge offensive burden on this UConn team, right? And a couple of moments he was dealing uh, with coming back from injuries. I know he had that left elbow injury um, that kept him out for a good bit of this season. But I think there is a um, average defender in book night. I mean, maybe even stretches of above average. Um, yeah. I, I do think he's a negative coming in, but I don't think that he's a player that is um, at, like later in his career getting attacked. No, I, I completely agree with that. I think he's relatively active defender. Um, he, he seems like one of those dudes that's always uh, ready to slide over and kind of dig at dudes. Um and I mean, and that kind of works on UConn. UConn was a defense grinded out team. Um, let's see, they were 42nd in the country in points allowed. Um, so like he, he came from a defensive first system. So uh, it's going to be, and I, I, I agree, no rookie is going, even like Usman Garuba, nobody's going to come in and be a positive defender from day one. But wherever he ends up, like, I think he's got the tool set to be a pretty good defender. Um, and 
even when compared to like dudes guards who people are saying like this is the defensive guard in the class like Davion Mitchell or Keon Johnson like I don't think it's close talent wise I would take book night over the both those dudes very quickly yeah I would too um yeah I, I think I'm a little higher on Mitchell than you but I still would take book night over him um yeah. yeah I mean the value of scoring in the league is just ridiculous right um yeah I, I think Jordan Clarkson is a guy that we're going to be throwing. I think mm-hmm. there's like three or four guys in this class that it's hard to not throw out a Jordan Clarkson comp for um, Lou Williams, you know, sort of like, I, I think that it, these are, you're just talking about microwave scores, right? Mm-hmm. At the very least, that's what he's going to be. That's like percentile in isolation this year. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, yeah. 84th percentile. I was going to say, wait a minute, 98th. Yeah, Holy it was 98th and cut it. I not mark that. Um, but man, he just has such craft with the ball. I forget what I think it was in the Villanova game where he kind of like tripped over a dude's foot and caught himself with one hand and kept his dribble alive and then his balance slithered around him. Oh yeah. His balance with the ball, his craft with the ball. Like uh, yeah. here, here comes here comes the real question though, because we can praise his scoring crafts all we want. Does he have a case as the best player available for Sacramento at nine? Um, I think that if you buy him being a shooter that like, I think he has a case. I don't think like, I'm going to be the one making the case, but I think yeah. somebody could make it. If that makes I sense. Yeah. I, uh, he, he's definitely going to be at the top of that. Okay. I see what you're going for here, Tier. Um, I, I, I wouldn't, I actually would be really surprised if he's there at nine. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I definitely think he's going to go top uh eight yeah i think so right if he lasts to sacramento like he seems a dude that monty mcnair might just be like all right we're just stopping the fall here um and i don't know that i think he's going to be as impactful for this organization as the last dude who fell to sacramento um but like i really wouldn't mind it if sacramento took him um he'd be filling the buddy healed role yeah for sure uh, and plenty of teams above, like you said, plenty of teams above him. How it could use a score with his ability to put pressure on the rim and shooting upside. But like, Stack could use another dude with his scoring mentality for sure. Especially if he's going to take the Buddy Hield role. Like, I trust his defense if upside more than I ever trusted Buddy's defense if upside. Um, that all said, I expect that Book Knight's camp will probably want him somewhere either like more established, like Golden State's the one I keep coming back to. Yeah. Um, or somewhere where he could be a big focal point of the offense. Um, him coming to sack, it could be a little messy on the offensive end as he kind of figures out being a pick and roll dribble handoff dude into really figuring out um, being a spot up catch and shoot shooter. I mean, spot up something he's already doing. Catch and shoot is what I mean. But like Fox, Book Knight, Halliburton trio of guards might just be like the highest ceiling guard outcome the Kings could possibly hope for. Um, yeah. I think I'm going to, I'd rather have a good uh, number of the wings and forwards above him just because like, I think a lot of the dudes uh, who I'm going to have ranked above him have a better, have a case for best player available alongside his and like they're better fits for Sacramento, but you get down to Book Knight or Josh Giddy, and uh, that's suddenly a real debate for me. Yeah. Um, 
You know, one aspect of Franz that I see as slightly concerning on the Sacramento roster is his passiveness on the offensive end. Yes, I completely Um, agree. And specifically on the Sacramento roster, I think there were times last year where it felt like, you know, nobody just wanted to be the one, like we needed aggressive shot makers or shot takers, even guys looking for their own opportunities. Um, And this is why Buddy was useful. And it felt like Buddy Fox were kind of the two guys. Everybody else was pretty passive. And Terrence Davis was the guy that made me realize that because he came in and was just willing to put up a lot of shots. And I thought that that was really useful. And I think that like book night, you don't have concerns with that, obviously, right? Like he's a guy that is out there looking for his own shot. Um, I think that, you know, playmaking is a concern, I guess, but I think as long as he's not like your primary and you're really just using him um, to make quick decisions and trying to put him in opportunities rather than him creating opportunities, um, I, I think that like, he's a fine, you know, just swinging it to the next guy passer. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, uh, it's definitely the thing in his game that has to improve. Um, but that wasn't his role. His role was the score. Um, and I saw enough of it that I trust that a guy with his drive is going to really sit down wherever he ends up with the offensive coordinator um, and really work on seeing the floor better. Cause like, that's the difference between him being uh, a microwave scorer uh, or a true starting to guard in this league. Yeah. Um, you know, this isn't a exactly reasonable situation, but humor me for a second here. Say Moody Wagner and Jalen Johnson aren't available. I know one of those three is going to be available at very least, right? But let's say they're not for the sake of conversation. Is Book Knight in consideration then? Uh, yeah, I think he would be in serious consideration. Um, like, he's definitely a much safer player than Zaire Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know who else is there in your hypothetical. Jalen Johnson. Uh, like Garuba. I don't know if you like Kai, Giddy. Yeah, no, no, no. The, the only ones I'm going to consider over James Booknight are Jalen Johnson, Zaire Williams, maybe Giddy, um, maybe Jaden Springer just because the defense mm-hmm. is the defense is a lot more like for sure. Yeah. But, but- like mm, – then, then it's getting into the positional argument, and and I feel like that's where you and I can be like, yeah, we always want to get best player available, and then we're just talking ourselves into our wings and forwards. So it's a yeah. real conundrum. I think it's the biggest. Uh, he to me is the most complex best player available argument of the dudes we're going to look at who are not like clear. He fits in Sacramento, dudes. Yeah, I think like, yeah. I'm with you there. And I think that uh, the situation I laid out for you obviously is unrealistic. And what it's going to come down to for me is I think there's just going to be like one or two guys I like better than book night um, enough where, you know, he's not like a clear best player available. Cause I think these two other guys are on the same sort of level. And I mean, I haven't been shy and about saying, and I think you as well, that this team needs defense. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I think Fox Alberton can handle a lot of offs- offensive responsibility and sure like you know scoring is everything in this league but um you got to be competent on the defensive end and i think that's where i'm just going to lean and and i'm just talking about moody and walker really yeah yeah i agree with you uh i i think this 
decision is going to be completely out of Monty McNeil's hands. I do not think he's going to fall. I think he's going to go seven, six, seven, eight. Um, but we'll see. Um, last question I got for you. You got a gun to your head right now, and somebody hands you five hundred bucks, and they say you have to bet on whether he's going to be a dunk champ or not sometime in his NBA career. It's it's a pretty easy answer for me. I think he's going to win the dunk contest someday. Really, I yeah. would. Yeah, I don't know. I guess gun to my head, I'd say no because I feel like just that's the safe odds. Yeah, it's the field, but like the league's best dunkers are guards like this. Yeah, he handles like, contact so well too. He's as close to a Zach Levine athlete as we've had since Zach Levine in terms of that body type. And I think he's a little shorter uh, than Levine, but like, dude can fly. Yeah, and he's gonna have to add more dribble moves, but I think that just comes with time. You know, there's a lot of hang dribbles and change of pace right now. And uh, yeah, sixty-two percent at the rim, eighty-six percentile. Definitely. I mean, there's a three-level scorer in there, and I think that that is just super valuable in today's league. And I think yeah. you have an argument that Cameron Thomas is a three-level scorer as well. <laughs> um, you know, yes. This, this is different. Definitely. But we will uh, – yeah, Cameron Thomas is the other guy we're going to cover here today. Played one year at LSU, uh, 29 games there, scored 23 points, 1.4 assists, 3.4 rebounds, along with 0.9 steals, 1.7 turnovers on 40% from the field, 17 attempts a game, by the way, 32% from three on seven attempts a game and 88% from the free throw line. Also on seven and a half attempts, a lot of time spent at the free throw line. Um, Yes. What, what is, what is the main thing that stands out to you when you're watching camera Thomas? Uh, His absolutely insane confidence. Like the dude just totally believes in himself in every moment he's on the floor. Um, he was by far the leading scorer on the LSU team that finished 10th in the country in points per game uh, and also 286th in points allowed. So uh, you can see where I'm kind of going with this. Um, I, I, I don't think that we'll get into this as the pieces fall into place. I don't think that Cam Thomas is uh, anywhere close to the prospect that James Booknight is. Um, but there's going to be a real role in the league for him. Kind of a, as I was watching him, I know there's better like um, body type comparisons, but like Terrence Ross just kept flashing to me, a dude who really works in the NBA because uh, once every three games, he can just go in and suddenly score 30 points. Um, like the value of that type of player is different for every team, but every squad in the NBA is going to want a guy like Cam Thomas who just can shoot off the dribble, uh, insane fluidity off the bounce. Um, like you just have to have the system and defense to insulate him or to coach him up on defense. Um, so it's, it's, it's a complex evaluation when you're trying to consider him anywhere close to Sacramento's spot. But uh, yeah, just go watch Cam Thomas highlights right now. And, and just his ability to go off the bounce, um, his, his ability in the pick and roll, like there was a reason that LSU just said, here, have the ball shoot 17 times a game. We'll let you do it. Yeah. And, you know, all that offensive responsibility, still 63rd percentile in catch and shoots, 56th percentile jumpers off the dribble. The guy I couldn't shake was Terry Rozier. Um, and Rozier's a better defender. But, um, and, and that's like as a high, I think that's a pretty high end outcome for Cameron Thomas. 
Um, but what I want to talk to you about here, because I don't think that he's exactly creating a high amount of space for himself. Yeah. He's a, he's a guy that makes tough shots. And does that scare you? Well, you know, I wrote this down. Watching Thomas kind of reminds me of a point that our buddy PD Webb wrote about once, um, where it was when you're watching a prospect, show me the easy buckets. Um, What does Cam do that he can make happen easily in a basketball game? Um, The number one thing is he easily got to the line, apparently. Absolutely, Uh, yeah. Nine free throws per 40 minutes. That's just bonkers and he's a little flopper around the rim oh yeah he is throwing his body around dude sells it so hard um like he's a wizard at baiting the whistle and hit 88 percent of his three throws so that's an easy thing right there yeah um so what else um i talked about it a little bit he is very good off the bounce um those are most of his highlights uh, 56th percentile made up over 33% of his looks. He's really solid for how much he relied on it. His motion is so smooth. His little jab step lean back yeah. or his turnaround over his right shoulder. Um, it's, it's really pretty when it goes in. Um, he's only six, three. So he's a little shorter than, um, you'd want from a combo guard. Uh, he's only got okay bounce, uh, and solid length. So like telling me that, uh, a six three dude with those physical talents is gonna be reliant on the off the dribble. Like it's gonna be harder at the next level, but he's clearly got an NBA skill right there, one that extends pretty dang far uh out on the court. So um like there's there's the way that he's gonna create a shot. Now, whether those are easy shots, I have no idea. Um, and how much you buy on him finding more and more avenues to score at the next level really is going to set how high he is on your big board. Um, but like to me, he's a bucket. Um, and that's pretty much where the conversation ends in terms of what he can do for sure. Actually, one more thing. I tweeted about this yesterday because it, it just still blows my mind. Um, his shot selection was pretty damn bad. Um, and, and I mean, LSU basically just gave him the greenest lights of green lights ever. And it re- made him like take crazy deep pull-ups that just super early in the shot clock, not even going to try to yeah. figure out anything else up. Um, he has real range, time, but those oh, yeah. were crazy shots. He for sure has amazing range, but like 500 field goal attempts. He took over 17 a game. The fact that he only took 40% and that he only hit 40% of those attempts makes tells you that his shot selection is crazy. But like nearly a thousand minutes played, 500 field goals attempted, and he only had 42 assists. So that tells you what he's doing with the ball. He only had 49 turnovers. Like that's crazy to me that a dude with his shot selection and like only had 49 turnovers. That is both amazing and awful because that tells he you was what getting he was it doing. up every time. Yeah. That's what he was doing. Yeah. Um, he's a scorer, not a combo guard, which really kind of limits how a squad would build around him unless he is for sure a bench guard. Which I, I think like a six man thing is kind of in the cards here. Um, as a medium outcome sort of thing. I think that I worry a little bit about him not having a 
high level handle. Like I think it's okay. Um, but not having a high level handle paired with not really having great burst, I think, um, mm-hmm. concerned me a little bit. Like there were some times where I was like, I felt like he should have been able to beat that big in off a switch. Um, but you know, I, I mean, I think kind of nitpicking some possessions and he just had so much offensive responsibility. So, I mean, I think there's a legitimate three level score here. Um, one thing before we move on to the defense, what did you think of him like coming off screens and being like a movement shooter? I saw him run through some elevator screens and pin downs, things like this. Like, do you think there's something there? Yes, I definitely do. If only because if he's going to work in the NBA, he's definitely going to have to make that a much bigger part of his game. Um, so like it, if he doesn't figure out how to be a movement shooter, it's done. And I, I think he does, but I'm with you. Yeah. But yeah, totally agree. Um, okay. So I don't know where to start on defense. Can, <laughs> can I? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like I was listening to one pod talk about it and I was saying it was, it was actually entertaining how bad he was on defense. Oh yeah. The entire LSU team did not give a fuck about defense. Um, so why would their best score? Um, right. Like every once in a while, he had a moment of like real solid help defense, especially as like a sneaky help side rim protector, which for like a six three six two guard with like average bounce, like good for him. Um, but like every every one of those was defensive plays or like I hate saying when a dude just doesn't care on defense, but. He just didn't care on defense. Uh, and even if he did, like, I tweeted this out the other day, the the DeAndre Ayton um, tweet about he was the perfect culmination of a dude who was a bad defender in college, didn't care at all, um, but came to a system uh, and came to a great head coach who helped him figure it out. Um Got a mentor and Chris Paul who told him, "Hey, you got to do this. We got it. Like, you need to be a rim protector if this squad's going to go anywhere." And he's really become like these playoffs are showing. He is a very, very good defender. So, like, is it completely out of the question that a dude's going to come in and come to the right system uh, and and figure out how to be a, a, like a very good defender? Well, for one, Cam Thomas has nothing close to the tools that DeAndre Aiden does, even for his like position. So that like ends that conversation right there. But if Cam Thomas becomes a average defender, it'll be a, an amazing step for him. And then we can start talking about him as a top 10 prospect in this draft class. But yeah. if you're going to have him anywhere close to the lottery, you are banking on a massive improvement in playmaking in defense in shot selection and because like i i I just cannot see a dude with his tools being an elite scoring option that just makes up for everything else if everything else in his game is average to below average yeah I, i think that even if you just buy an average defender that you could justify him top 10. Um, but the defense was so bad. Like, I, I mean, I could not help but just think of Buddy Heald when I was watching him on defense. Like, there's <laughs> times he just looks lost out there. Um, you know, there were moments of, like, you could tell 
kind of being checked out, not really engaged, but there were moments where I think he just got lost. And um, yeah, that, that's definitely concerning. I, I guess I do see like occasional flashes. There were some moments, but I don't know. It, it was hard for me to hold on to those. I, I don't really buy him as a plus defender. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you're saying, it, it's really just getting a bucket and all the other complementary aspects are really concerning here. Um, yeah. And I, I think that, you know, like if you're talking sort of a situation in the late first round, like I think we talked oh, about yeah. this before we press record, you know, like the Lakers at 22, right? And all he's asked is to fill did a Schroeder role of sorts, right? And I guess they could use somebody that would penetrate and play, make a little bit more, but you know, for, yeah, I, I think that that sort of fit is interesting where there are other obviously high usage primary guys around him and he's just there to complement and score and take advantage of defenses that are focusing more on on some of the stars. <laughs> Tankathon has him going 23 to the Rockets, which is absolutely hilarious because the Rockets are probably going to take Jalen Green. Um, just imagine oh my the guard God. scoring punch of Jalen Green KPJ and Cameron Thomas. How do they decide like who gets the ball each possession? They, they don't. <laughs> You're That's right. Yeah. Be, Steven Silas is going to like his entire job is just going to be figuring that out. Um, we're all but, fighting for uh, defensive rebounds. Yeah. Clearly we're talking about a dude who we both think should go in the twenties. Like, I feel like, you know, every, every time I see, um, a, there's a ton of, very respected, really smart draft dudes out on Twitter now. Um, and every time I see a guy like Cam Thomas in somebody's lottery, like I always think that Cam Thomas will benefit a hell of a lot more going to some team in the 20 to 30 range than he will going to a lottery team. You have to be a really specific lottery team to really utilize Cam Thomas in a way that really unlocks more than what he is. And what he is right now is a really creative off the bounce score and everything else is a question mark. Um, like imagine he goes to Denver and is the mm. dude behind Jamal Murray, or he goes to the Nets and he's finally the bench scorer that they don't have. The Sixers. When, what, yeah. Or the Sixers or hell the freaking Suns, man. Yeah. I that think would be the, so much fun. The highest I would go, um, I think, like New York is interesting. Um, you know, they, yeah. they need some shooting, and I think if you're, you know, if Thibodeau buys that there's a defender in there, then I, I think that that's the sort of guy that holds them accountable on that end. I think 17's somewhat interesting, um, but like that's the absolute highest I would go. I, I think the situations you're talking about um, later in the first round probably make more sense. Mm, yeah, I agree. Um, so, if in the in the strange world where Monty McNair suddenly pulls another first rounder um, from behind the curtain, like uh, a magical world where some team in the in the twenties says, "Yeah, we'll take Marvin Bagley off your hands here. Have our first. I I get the case for Cam Thomas. Um, he could fill the Terrence Davis role. But yeah, I think that's actually a really good comp. Yeah. Terrence Davis is a really good comp for him. Um, although Terrence Davis is insanely more dedicated on defense uh, than yeah. Cam Thomas is or probably ever will be. Um, but 
that's the argument I see him. I don't see him anywhere close to the top 10 or lottery for me, regardless of whether it's a fit for Sacramento or just the general draft. Yeah, I think I'm going to end up with him maybe in my late teens, early 20s sort of range. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, my high-end outcomes that I have written here are like Terry Rozier, Jordan Clarkson, um, medium outcomes. I put Devontae Graham, I thought was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then floor Alec Burks, Malik Monk, you know, guys that I, I think struggled to get those easy buckets. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely think that's a, and the Malik Monk one is a really good comparison. Um, I think Cam Thomas is probably a little, uh, his better offensive, uh, awareness and instincts and physicality um, for sure. Yeah. And physicality, but Malik Monk is a good one, I think. Yeah, um, definitely interesting. I'm with you that if the Kings somehow manage with a, another late first rounder here, not really interested in Cam Thomas. If we're talking for the sake of trading back 9 to 16 and 18, if James Booknight is somehow there at 16, absolutely. He's oh, not, but he's not. Yeah. Um, probably no not there at 9. And if he is there at 9, I think um, – asked me earlier if there's a conversation to be had about him being best player available. I, I think there is, but I'm not going to end up there. Um, by the way, we had a really funny conversation. I posted that uh, Moses Moody picture of him in the doorway <laughs> with his wingspan. And I love that Tim was telling us uh, at first, he was like, I saw this picture and Moody has now risen on my boards. And then he's like, actually I went to do it and I can do it too. Screw Moody. Yeah. Like Tim, dude, We've been talking about his wingspan for months now. It's a selling point beyond the door. Like the door is a really cool visual, but come on. It was funny, but yeah. yeah. Still, okay, Moody Wagner over Book Night, right? Still, and Jalen Johnson. Jalen Johnson's like, at least least I can see the argument, but Jalen Johnson outcome, uh, median outcome for Sacramento is loads better than um, James Booknight median outcome yeah. for Sacramento. So I am with you. Um, yeah, there's going to be a handful of guards, I think, comparable to Cam Thomas. I've been diving into them recently, and it's just like really hurting my brain to sort through <laughs> Cam Thomas, Sharif Cooper, AO, um, uh, and there's someone else here, Trey Mann. So, yeah, there's going to be a handful of them, but I think it's good that there's a handful of guards that I think are projected as like late first rounders because that's going to leave some of these wings that'll probably end up rising just because of positional scarcity. Um, mm-hmm. But I think there's going to be a decent wing available for Sacramento at 39. At least I'm hopeful. Pair them with Woodard, and you already know who's going to be my favorite pick in this draft. 39. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Who was I really hoping? Uh, Oh, we're probably going to talk about him next time. Um, There is no dude I would rather see end up at 39 than JT Thor. Yeah, and I think that BJ Boston has an argument there too. Those are going to be our that's going to be our duo. Yeah, what a convenient uh, 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 call out for next episode. There we go. Yeah. um, Well, those are going to be the two guys that we dive into next. I think strong consideration at 39 might even end up going earlier. Um, Definitely check out all the great work on Hot the Kings Herald. Brian, you just put out your Zaire Williams profile. Let's get the the hype train rolling for Zaire at nine. Um, And of course, take a look at the Patreon of local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. And you hear from us again in the next couple of days.